This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. At 11, pay more at the grocer, but getting less will tell you how to get the most. The f*** are you doing? We need to acknowledge an unfortunate mistake that I made and one of the teases we bring to you before this program. While we were live just after 10 o'clock, I said a word that many people find offensive. I'm truly sorry. It was a mistake on my part, and I sincerely apologize. Oh, you guys know I love those news bloopers, and that is one of my favorites. That is Sue Simmons back on NBC New York probably about 20 years ago. I don't know what Chuck Scarborough was doing. We never found out, but I just love that freaking clip. Anywho, welcome to another Friday Roundtable Extravaganza. I'm Dave Rubin. This is The Rubin Report. And joining me today are Michael Malice of the Your Welcome Podcast and the host of The News and Why It Matters on Blaze TV, Sarah Gonzalez. Michael, Sarah, how are you crazy kids? Good, good. I, can I say for the record that um, when I say that offensive word, I don't apologize. I'm not sorry. <laughs> you actually have a long track record of not apologizing. <laughs> you fight with people on Twitter and then you make a point of saying you are never going to apologize to them. But actually, before we get into it, Sarah, you have some news of your own today uh, because it sounds like something big is uh, brewing in Sarah Gonzalez's world. Yeah, I appreciate that. So the News and Why It Matters final episode is going to be tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern, and we are uh, we're switching it over. We're going to be Sarah Gonzalez unfiltered uh, starting Monday in a new time slot. Uh, it's 7 p.m. Eastern, so it's a little later. There's room to be a little spicier, and uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with it. And I expect that both of you will come on the new show sometime. Well, let's just get through today, you know. <laughs> well, <laughs> okay. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Um, all right, I'm actually super psyched to have both of you on the show today. You, you guys are perfect because Sarah, you are OG, born and bred Texan, and Malice, you are what? You're about a year and a half into your Texan life after being a born and bred New Yorker? That was stone cold, Ruben. Holy crap. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of you. I, I did that. trouble was going to come from Michael. I know. You know, it's Friday. I, Luke was puking a little bit last night. I didn't sleep that much. It is what it is. You know, it, what are you going to do? It, it's, it's been two and a half years since I've been a Texan. And I got to tell you that Sue Simmons clip, it does make me remember uh, fondly what New York used to be. And uh, I've been reading old books about New York, old documentaries. Uh, so when you see these little clips, it kind of does take you back. But uh, I have no interest in visiting now what it has become. And, and I'm delighted that I made the right choice in becoming a Texan. 
Well, that's exactly why I wanted to have you guys on, because to have someone that's born and bred and someone that, that left New York for the free state of Texas in light of everything that's going on. So let's just dive right into it. Everyone knows that earlier in the week, there was this Supreme Court ruling five to four, uh, basically stopping Texas from protecting its own border because the federal government has been uh, totally negligent about that, if not outright doing it intentionally, stopping them. Course, actually, uh, yeah. Here is Governor Greg Abbott, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, explaining his decision to defy the Supreme Court decision. What Texas is doing is just very simple, and, and, and that is because the Biden administration has really, truly abdicated its responsibility to secure the border and enforce the laws, Texas very simply is securing the border. And so we put up the razor wire that you were talking about, Bill, and uh, we put up all these barricades that actually have denied illegal entry. Uh, and as you pointed out also in that screen, that there are criminals coming across our border. Texas has a right as a state to stop criminals from coming into our state, to make arrests of those criminals. Uh, and we have National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers who are there to make those arrests and to deny illegal entry. And Joe Biden actually does have an option here. Joe Biden's option is to enforce the laws of the United States and stop this illegal entry. Sarah, you must be feeling pretty proud to be a Texan right now because it seems to me that we have needed this fight for a long time. This is overdue. Uh, I'm not a constitutional lawyer, as I said on the show yesterday, but I'm fairly certain states have every right to protect themselves, especially when the federal government is not doing their job. So how are you feeling today? Yeah, I'm, I'm just glad that Governor Abbott finally did something. We heard a lot of tough talk for the last three years, and I have been, you know, I have not been shy in criticizing the governor when he deserves it. This time, I think it's time to give a little credit where credit is due. He finally uh, put those words into action. He finally, once he declared it an invasion, because he's done this several different times, he has declared it an invasion by saying this is an invasion and mm -hmm. then not followed it up with anything. So now they're finally following it up. And I think, um, you know, dare the federal government. What do you what are you what are you going to do, Joe Biden? What are you going to do? Are you going to have your Border Patrol uh, members come and what start <clears throat> violence? They, they're in a bind. And honestly, it's about damn time because this is treasonous on part of the Biden regime. This is absolute treason. It is contrary to what is in our founding documents, to what our founding fathers intended. They never intended for the federal government to completely neglect their responsibility at the mm -hmm. border and not allow states to be able to defend themselves. And if the Biden administration really cared about Americans, they would be thanking Texas for doing what they couldn't do unless the plan was to destroy America, in which case they're mm. not so thrilled with it. Malice, I don't know if you saw a video that Ron DeSantis put up yesterday. It's really interesting, because since he dropped out of the presidential race, he's suddenly doing all this stuff on Twitter. He's taking selfie videos. It's like, where was that during the campaign? Mm -hmm. But that aside, he, he made an interesting point uh, in a little video that he put up, which is that the founders would have never even signed on to the Constitution, the, the Federalist Papers, all of these things, if the basic idea was going to be that the federal government was going to stop the states from doing things. Like, it's actually all backwards right now. Yeah, I don't really care what the Founding Fathers said about anything. Uh, <laughs> and in fact, the founders would have said that Governor Abbott should obey what the Supreme Court says, because according to them, the Supreme Court is the final authority supreme as to what the Constitution says. So this is one of those moments when Boomer conservatives twist themselves in knots when they're like, well, we should defy the Supreme Court. You're with me. 
Uh, the Supreme Court is a political <laughs> agency like any other, and I'm thankful that the last step toward national divorce, or one of them, is going to be realized in the Supreme Court are not holy. These are not, you know, saints. These are people who are appointed for partisan reasons, and sometimes they get it wrong. So I'm kind of disappointed in Sarah that she didn't take the easy line with it's about, you know, it's about time the Governor Abbott stood up for something. But I am more happy than anyone <laughs> as the person who got the ball rolling uh, for national divorce starting in 2016. I'm literally, Michael, always so careful in my word choice when I talk about Governor Abbott and you just put it all out there. He's There's going to be, a, I, my audience is, Biden is, my, <laughs> My audience is pretty smart and they get the reference, but the average person, if you said that malice on another show, you know, they wouldn't get it, but we got it around here. Uh, well, Sarah, what, what do you make of that? That the weird position that I suppose right-leaning people are in right now is that we are the ones that are seemingly going against the Supreme Court when actually, generally speaking, we're the ones that like to believe in, you know, separation of powers and that the courts, you know, usually do good things, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, I think that two things can be true, right? I mean, while Michael is saying is absolutely correct, um, the federal government is also neglecting their constitutional responsibility to protect our borders and keep our borders sovereign. So that, you know, it's kind of like, I hate to break it down to um, uh, my my kids' conversations, my kids' fights, but it's in the case of who started it, I mean, mm -hmm. the federal government very clearly is acting unconstitutionally. And if you don't have the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, as Michael pointed out, acting in a an objective manner, I mean, number one, the state has to do what it has to do to protect its own borders and let the chips fall where they may later. But number two, I would also say, um, to Michael's point, you know, you also have Joe Biden uh, defying the Supreme Court when he's allowing all of the student loan debt repayment. Mm -hmm. So. When you have the other side who doesn't play by the rules, you have to finally decide for yourself what point, what's the point in playing by the rules when I am playing my opposing team doesn't play by the same rules. They don't care what the rules are. And I just don't think you're ever going to get anywhere playing by rules that the other team doesn't follow. Oh my, I'm, can I say, I'm, I'm ecstatic to hear you say that because that is precisely the anarchist position that laws are just you know implements of power and there's nothing objective and there's no moral reason to follow them if they don't further your interests. So amen, Sarah, welcome aboard. So, <laughs> well, that was also why I wanted to have you on because it's not just that not you're, you're, you're a New York guy who moved to we Texas know. because of COVID, but, but a lot of what's happening right now, I think lends itself to the arguments you've been making for years, Mal. So when, when you mentioned national divorce, Look, I don't like giving the idea of national divorce or civil war energy. However, as someone that moved from California, obviously, to Florida, that now I'm happy that DeSantis is my governor again. We see this stark difference in blue and red and all that stuff. Like, is this really where you think we should be going at this point? Well, I guess it's a stupid question. I guess the answer is yes. Well, this is where we should have been going for a long time. And I don't understand how you could sit there with a uh, pun intended straight face and say that as a Floridian, you should, we should be under the thumb, I'm serious, of New York, DC, and LA. That to me is absolutely crazy. And there's further steps, uh, as you very well know, 
to diminish the Electoral College and have it more of a popular vote. And if that is the case, then it will be entirely a federal government run by people who run in cities, something which, you know, we still, I'm in Austin, you're in Miami, respectively, but they do not carry the weight that mm -hmm. New, culturally that and politically that New York City, D.C., Chicago, and L.A. do. So I'm absolutely delighted that this is happening. I'm delighted that more people are understanding that the federal government is more of a threat to them than Putin or Beijing. Um, and I don't see, most importantly, and I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts, I don't see a way for them to turn this car around. Well, first off, to be clear, Malice, I think you know, I don't want New York and Cali to have anything to do with my life in Florida. I just think that there's a general, you know, we start the Civil War talk and we just don't know where up, where it ends up. So I just want to be personally a little bit careful about that. But let, let me throw to diversity hire Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, explaining what the... Uh, <laughs> explaining what the administration might do. Homeland Security Department has asked for access to this park that is now currently in dispute. It doesn't seem like they've gotten it. Uh, they now are allowed to cut down razor wire. Yeah. Some Democrats are saying the president needs to federalize uh, the Texas National Guard. So look, Is that something that could happen? I mean, look, I'll say this. Uh, you know, the Border Patrol agents are now, as you said, allowed to cut through the wire because of what the Supreme Court has laid out. It's, it's unfortunate that we had to go there. It's unfortunate that there is a governor in Texas, Governor Abbott, who has politicized this issue of what's happening on the border. And it's not making people's lives safer. It's actually making it harder for law enforcement at the, at the border to do their job. And so we have been very clear. We want to make sure we get something done at the border. That's why we've been having these conversations with Senate Republicans and Democrats for the past several weeks to come up with a bipartisan agreement right. to deal with the border. And look, if that the governor is not interested in that, Governor Abbott is not interested in that. He wants to politicize an issue, and he's not helping communities. He actually isn't, and he's actually putting border patrol agents in harm's way by doing what he's doing. I'm not going to speak to any actions that the president might take, may not take, but we have been very clear on this. I mean, everything she said there is a confusion or an outright lie or backwards, but Sarah, to try to give the devil his due here, to me, it seems that what Democrats think, or at least what this administration thinks, is that Border Patrol's job is to process immigrants, not to protect the border. Like, that's actually what they believe, and if we acknowledge that, then we can start fighting with them properly. Does that, does that seem fair to you? But yeah, that is what pisses me off so much. Every single time I hear these people trot out and repeat these lines that Border Patrol needs more resources, not to protect you and me, not right. to protect actual Americans, just to process these unvetted strangers and allow them into the interiors of our country. It is absolutely reprehensible. I'm old enough to remember a time when Border Patrol was actually there to enforce the law and keep these people out. Instead, they're just glorified processors where they give them a little note and say, hey, promise that you'll really super pinky promise that you're going to be out of court <laughs> in the year 2032. And we'll just really, really hope that you show up. Wink, wink. I mean, it's disgusting. And you have these people. I just heard a story the other day of a woman. I believe her name was Tammy Nobles whose daughter was autistic, developmentally disabled, who was killed, strangled to death by an MS-13 gang member because mm -hmm. Border Patrol and the Department of Homeland Security is not doing their damn job. And I'm so tired of hearing this because here's what you'll hear from the, sorry, I'm on a rant. Here's yeah, what go, you'll hear go. from the left, guys. Here's what you'll hear from the left, okay? 
We need more, even from the, the NYC mayor, Eric Adams, and, and all of these Democrat lawmakers who are sanctuary cities until all the brown people show up at their doorstep and they're like, wait a second, we didn't plan for this to happen. Here's what they say. They don't say close the border. They say we need more federal resources mm -hmm. thrown our way to house these people. We're going to get to a point where there's geographically no place else for them to go. And these people are so disgusting that they think that throwing more of our taxpayer money is going to solve the problem when really it's just going to, I mean, it's disastrous. It's going to be disastrous for decades with these people. We have to have someone in office who is willing to say we have to start mass deportations now. Ooh. I believe wow. that's what we call Sarah Gonzalez unfiltered debuting wow. on Monday. Malice, wh what do you think the argument is? Like if you were in the White House right now and there's that elderly man with dementia there and the diversity hire and the and Mayorkas with the eyebrows and all the people, if they're sitting in there, what do you think they're saying to each other right now? Do they think they're doing the right thing? Well, they know that this is something that benefits the Democratic Party, both in the short term and long term. Uh, they're not incorrect at all. Uh, you know, obviously, anyone who has a kid on American soil, that kid is automatically a citizen. So that you know, this you know, I think we all remember in 2016 when some horrific corporate journalist yelled at President Trump for using the term "anchor baby," and he mm -hmm. goes, "No, no, no, I'm going to use the term anchor baby." Uh, but you know, I, I'm saying this is an immigrant. Um, this is something that if a nation does not, when we came over, we had to have a family sponsor us to be responsible. Mm -hmm. Like meaning they were accountable. Now there's just absolutely no accountability because we don't know who half these people are. They're throwing out their ID cards, you know, intentionally. And I'm all for humanitarianism to a point. But if you're not able to sift between who's coming over because they're fleeing some sort of genocide or who's coming over because they're a, a military age male who just wants to have an easy life and 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 not be able to integrate into society, which is going to lead to very harmful consequences. This is a serious concern. So as to your question, what they're doing in the White House, I, I don't think they know what to do because this is the first time, I think, for a very long time when a Republican governor or any governor pretty much has stood up to the federal government to such an extent. I'm delighted by this. Yeah. So they're, I'm sure their phones are ringing off the hook uh, here in Austin with Governor Abbott. And the beautiful thing is both House and Senate are a tie. So you don't have the space to any, make any kind of big moves. They, like the, the Congress is effectively crippled. Uh, so this is really a wonderful time for things to escalate in the direction it needs to go in my opinion. It, it does feel like something is turning right now. Like this issue is just so damn obvious when you see these 25 to, as you said, like 40 year olds, all male running in. It's in light of what happened in Israel on October 7th. Who the hell are these people? What are their intentions? But Malice, I'm gonna give you some low hanging fruit here because this map has been making the rounds on Twitter uh, of what people <laughs> of what people are saying kind of like the split would look like that these southern states uh, would kind of align together and that maybe it could leak a little further west, something like that I, part. I disagree. Texas is yeah. going to be its own nation. But I will say one other thing, and this is something that's actually key and germane. I think it was 25 other state governors yeah. that publicly said we're yes. siding with Governor Abbott. That is a huge new yes. step and a huge precedent because many of these aren't some former Confederate states, so they can't say, oh, this is all about slavery. These It, it reaches all the way to the Northern War, New Hampshire being one of them. So I'm very excited that there is a majority of states already Ready, who knows who else is going to join on board to be like, we're with Abbott. And when you have a majority of the states against the federal government, that also is unprecedented territory for the Biden administration. It also puts the Democrat governors on alert, because if you're Hochul up in New York and everyone's watching New York fall apart and you won't sign on to this thing, it's like, oh, you're actually the one. And, th and then you're telling everybody, keep coming here. So I guess good for us. We live in the free state.
of Texas for you guys, Florida for me. Let, let's move over to uh, the other thing that's happening right now, which is that Donald Trump is back in business. He's here, whether you like it or not. And uh, yes, he's Hitler and a fascist and all that stuff. Check out, this was, a, I'm not gonna show you all three minutes of it. Just a little bit of Joy Reid starting her show yesterday. And uh, I'd also like everyone to focus on her hair because I don't think it's natural. And we begin tonight with fascism and how it takes root. Now, it isn't usually a dramatic storm the palace coup like we saw on January 6th. It's more often a deal, a bargain between the would-be dictator and the establishment, both political and media, who believe that wielding actual political power will take him, it's usually what we often, it, it will, will, actually, will actually tame him, I should say. It's actually what we often get wrong about fascism. In describing the connections between interwar Europe and the present-day U.S., scholar John Gans writes, quote, We have this image in our heads of the fascist rise to power that comes from fascist propaganda, but it is much more political than that. In review of Gans's new book, In the American Prospect, Rick Perlstein also notes the crucial role of the, quote, responsible conservatives who made their peace with the strong man, believing he could be controlled. Perlstein recalls Germany's Vice Chancellor Franz von Papen, the architect of the 1933 coalition that made Adolf Hitler the chancellor. When the people around Papen voiced their concerns about putting Hitler in power, Papen said, in two months, we'll have pushed Hitler so far into the corner that he'll squeal. The thought that these men could be tamed is what we're seeing right now in the presidential election year, where politicians, journalists, and voters speak of a dangerous person getting reined in once back in power. And those who are legitimately afraid of this outcome are being quiet about it. So, Sarah, what's the deal with her hair? No, just kidding. Um, Wait, can I answer that? It's what? called yeah, all right. you. Karen. <laughs> yeah, yes, Mal what is it? It is cultural appropriation. Yes. From Karen. That's Karen hair. Cancel that woman, for God's sakes. The, the, actually, though, the, of course, okay, Hitler, fascism, all that stuff. Sarah, do you think it's, you can see them busting out the same playbook again? I mean, we've been through this. This is what you guys did that led to the rise of the guy in the first place. You're doing it again. It's leading to the rise this time. And by the way, you guys are the ones that are trying to take him off the ballot and hang him up in court and do sort of fascisty things. Do you think it's going to work again? I don't. I don't. I don't. Especially at a time. Maybe uh, if we had not lived through three years of Joe Biden, but we're living through a time where, you know, it's so cute when they throw out the term fascism while their own party are, mm -hmm. you know, uh, trying to imprison their own political opponents while their own party are throwing people uh, into prison for decades because, you know, they put their feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk while they are, you know, targeting pro-life protesters for peacefully protesting uh, the act of abortion. I mean, you have really reprehensible people in charge. I call them the Biden regime for a reason. So it's just really cute to hear this. It may have worked if we hadn't been living at a time where the average American doesn't care what you call someone else. What they care about is how much it costs to fill up their gas tank, how much it costs when they buy groceries at the grocery store, uh, how much their mortgage rate has increased, their, their interest rates. And that's what the average American is seeing and feeling. And I just don't think name calling is going to work this time. And I will also add, Dave, I know you guys know this, um, and I know that you saw it, but if it was Ron DeSantis, they would have called him the same things. Mm -hmm. They were already preparing to do that. They were already throwing in the seeds to plant so that they could start calling Ron DeSantis Hitler and a fascist and alt-right and all of the same things that they 
call Donald Trump. It's all an illusion. None of it is real. And they know it's not. And I just don't think it's going to work this time. No, they were prepping the, the DeSantis thing. They were basically calling him Hitler with the calculator, like at least yeah. the orange guy's an idiot, but this guy knows what he's doing. It's going to be even worse. Right. Malice, what, what do we do about this like information gap of the type of person that watches MSNBC, which of course is dwindling numbers, and we get the fight between legacy media and online media, but that there still are millions and millions of people that buy this stuff and they're, they're living in an alternate universe and we gotta save them or forget about them or institutionalize them, what do we do? You're the one who wants to continue being in a country with them. I wanna live in free Texas, I'm not even kidding. There's no getting through them by your own admission. Uh, here's the other thing, let's, take for, let's just take them arguments seriously for a second. If you regard Trump as a Hitler-like figure and your strategy last time didn't stop him, it is incumbent on you to do everything in your power to think of a new strategy to take this guy on because we're looking at the destruction of one's country and genocide. But the fact that they're just saying the same things over and over means they're not particularly, I'll believe that these corporate journalists are scared when the first one leaves the country. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, if Hitler's coming to power, even just the threats, so many people, not just Jewish people, are like, I got to get the heck out of Dodge because this is getting really scary really fast. They're not selling their houses in, you know, uh, Cape Cod or whatever. They don't care because it's not going to affect them. They're full of they're completely full of crap. Uh, I do think, though, um, to the point about the hair, Karen is the swing voter <laughs> in this country. Yeah. And Karen is it's going to be kind of hard to convince Karen to vote for someone who is a felon. So this idea that, you know, it's going to be a cakewalk for Trump is not at all accurate. They got him out of the White House in 2020. So the concept that like, well, it's just going to be a given that in 2024, uh, you know, after three years, people are going to go vote for Trump. That's not obvious to me at all. And it's not at all obvious to me that Biden's going to be the nominee because it's going to be very easy. And I've said this before. Hold on. If they pull Biden, they can put in Hillary. And Hillary had already gotten millions more votes than Trump in the wrong states. But I'd rather start out with someone who you vo people have voted for before, who have millions more votes. And now it's just a matter of accounting and putting the votes in the right, right place with Newsom as the VP so they don't have to defend the California record. That would be a very strong ticket for the Democrats. And then she wouldn't have to defend Biden. She could just throw Biden's record on the bus. I'm with you that it's that suburban kind of white woman or these disaffected libs that have kind of woke up over the last few months, that those are the only people who might move. And the issue with Trump is that they don't seem to want Trump, which is why I would like Trump to maybe soften the stance a little bit. We'll, we'll get to who's gonna, who might run if they get rid of Biden in just a sec. But I, I thought this video was really interesting. So there's this guy, Dean Phillips, who's a congressman in Minnesota who is running as a Democrat. And uh, he's quickly realizing, kind of like RFK Jr. realized, that the Democrats are complete lunatics. He had a rally a couple days ago, I think this is from two days ago, and it was near a Trump rally, and he wandered in. Democrat running for president, learning what the DNC is all about and how corrupt they are, decides to wander into a Trump rally. Check this out. We have a crisis of participation. And I gotta tell you guys, I went to a Donald Trump rally a couple nights ago, never been to one. Uh, I had an event across the street. I saw the line of people waiting in the cold for hours. And I thought, what the heck? You know, I'm going to be a leader who actually invites people, doesn't condemn them. Met probably 50 Trump people waiting in line. Every single one of them, thoughtful, hospitable, friendly. All of them so frustrated that they feel nobody's listening to them but Donald Trump. A diverse crowd, people who had never been to a Trump event before. My party is completely delusional right now. Sarah, that is exactly what happened to me when I was on the fence about Trump. I was driving through Los Angeles on Wilshire Boulevard and there was a Trump rally and I was like, you know what, let me just go and see what happens. 
And it was a joyous festival with American flags and Latinos for Trump and gays for Trump and blacks for Trump. And everybody was happy and nice. Um, I've also, I said once to Bill Maher on his podcast, that he would be welcomed more at a Trump rally than if he went to a progressive rally, like an AOC rally, and he even agreed with me. Uh, I suppose none of this surprises you. Yeah, no, of course not. And I, I mean, I want to add to Michael's point about the suburban moms, because of course, I think their votes very much are still in play. Um, and here is why. I understand your point about they're not going to want to vote for a felon, and I agree with you, but there is the unprecedented basis of, but we all know he's not actually, a f like, they're weaponizing the system against him to call him a felon so that they can say, see, you don't want this felon to be your president. And so, you know, I mean, you're working with the other side who is just operating to try to, um, I'm, I'm trying, are we on YouTube? We are, oh. but say say whatever okay. you want. We're on Rumble well, and Locals. You're good. You know, there's a lot of procedures that are happening um, to children that the Biden administration is pushing for. You know, you're living at a time where parents are getting their, their rights taken from them if they don't affirm their child's gender. And so I do think that there is a lot that is still in play. Another issue that I think is still in play is the minority vote. Uh, Dave, you pointed out Latinos for Trump and blacks for Trump and all of that. And I saw a tweet from the rapper Meek Mills not that long ago, and he retweeted a Trump Vivek clip where they were, you know, they were at some rally and they were talking and he retweeted it and, and he said, you guys are gonna be real surprised when you find out who black people in poverty are voting for this time around. Now, am I putting a whole lot of stake in that? No, because historically black yeah. people should have started voting against Democrats a very long time ago. But I do think that it, it may take this rock bottom administration for these people to wake up and say, you know, finally, we've been fooled. And I don't just mean black people. I mean, the suburban moms as well. I mean, these are these are un, uncharted territories. This is an unprecedented time that we are in. And that's why I wonder if the suburban mom vote is still in play, because I look at this and I'm like, no freaking way, Mike. I want my kids to go through another four years of this administration. I will vote for anything else. Malice is, is the rub, though, on that, that everything, I agree with everything Sarah just said right there with, with the kids and the border, like parents are waking up to all of this nonsense. But that sliver of people that we're talking about, that white suburban woman, they, we just know they have a massive aversion to Trump. And they're the ones also who have Munchausen's by proxy who are for the yeah. stuff with the gender with their kids. Right, so right. they are the swing vote. So Sarah's Maybe completely so. correct. Like you can, Maybe you, so. can, you can see a lot of them are going to be, you know, anti-Trump. A lot of them are going to be for Trump, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they're, they're, they're the ones who are going to decide this election unless it's a landslide one way or another, which I can easily see happening uh, uh, as well. But I'm just going to tweak Sarah a little bit. This is not the, there's a joke Reagan used to make how uh, he was, there's two people walking in Soviet Union Red Square and one of them goes to the other, is this it? Have we reached full communism? And the other goes, oh no, it gets much worse. So <laughs> for you to say this is rock bottom, I know you're not gonna disagree with me, it can get a lot worse. I agree, I agree, you're right. I Let's just, say, I, my point is, my point is, I. I feel like there are a lot of Americans that are frustrated like I am that say, you're right, to your point, Michael, that like we're not at rock bottom, but like what the hell happens if he gets yeah. another four years? Look no, how bad it's gotten in three. Let's jump over to what could happen in four years because obviously we do have this uh, Republican process happening right now. Nikki Haley's sticking around, which is sort of uh, interesting. Here is uh, her celebrating her second place finish in New Hampshire a couple days ago. 
With Donald Trump, Republicans have lost almost every competitive election. We lost the Senate. We lost the House. We lost the White House. We lost in 2018. We lost in 2020. And we lost in 2022. The worst kept secret in politics is how badly the Democrats want to run against Donald Trump. I know that neither one of you love Nikki Haley, uh, but I don't think she's completely wrong about that specifically. And if I was Nikki Haley and I was running right now, I would certainly, you know, everyone's saying, oh, she should drop out and it's a waste of money. It's like, I don't know why you care about the donor's money suddenly, but of course you have to stick around to South Carolina. I like, if I was her, of course you do. Malice, what, what do you think? Well, first of all, I don't think it's of course, because getting your ass handed to you in your home state is something that's really bad for your career long term. And this is one. So that's a, kind of a big deal why she might drop. Well, out. she, the fact she that clearly Tim, doesn't think that's going to happen. I well, mean. we don't we don't know. How, it's a month away. And the fact that Tim Scott, the senator from that state, endorsed Trump is no minor yeah. deal. But I'm going to disagree with her a little bit in terms of losing for a lot of conservatives. And they're completely correct. If Nikki Haley wins, the Republican Party is lost because it's lost all the things that matter to it. You know, she supports trans kids. She's a huge warmonger. I don't think she's particularly fiscally conservative. What would this woman gain you other than having a completely uh, um, castrated Senate and House supporting a horrible, you know, demon in the White House? Why would conservatives want this? That's not a win. That's a complete loss for them. So even though tech and I'll just point out something else that I've called and I'm positive you both will agree. I was very much for Fetterman over Oz. And every Republican and conservative I've spoken to now has seen that I was right. So a lot of times just because someone – there are many reasons why you might prefer a Biden administration to a Nikki Haley at the very least because you'd have space in Congress to fight the administration instead of them all having to get their ducks in a row and do whatever she wants. Malice, I'll give credit where credit's due because I think you said that on this show before that election. And uh, we'll try to find the clip. Maybe we'll put that up. Um, Sarah. You know, there seems to be this idea that Nikki is actually just sticking around because Trump's going to select her as VP. The base obviously hates it, but it would kind of be within Trump's like bag to like poke them in the eye and be like, I need those women voters that we were just talking about and maybe she can deliver them and bring yeah, some donors the along with, the way. Yeah, the thing with Trump, though, is that he is just such a, a loyalist. He values loyalty overall. And Nikki Haley has been disloyal to him for too many years, in my opinion, for Trump to turn around and decide that he wants to to use her as the VP pick. I see if, if it's a woman, I would see more of like a Sarah Huckabee Sanders, someone who has been, you know, loyal to him. Um, but I mean, it, it, oh, also, if Nikki Haley, the longer she continues, the worse it's going to get for her, the less and less likely it's going to be for Donald Trump to pick her because it's just pissing him off that she's staying in the race at this point. She's the last one. Um, and to Michael's point about all of this, just this, these neocon conservatives who just refuse to go away, it's terrifying to me. I do take a little bit of uh, encouragement in the fact that uh, apparently a lot of the, the Iowa caucusers who voted for Nikki Haley were in fact Democrats. Same thing with New Hampshire. So maybe it's not the full 20%, but it does seem to be like there's this 20% of people within the party who just want to vote for these these warmongers and you know these people who are not conservative at all. And so it is a little bit scary for me to see how many people are, are okay with this type of person in the party. I had thought that we had 
gone away from that. You know, we told Chris Christie, we didn't want him. We told Asa Hutchinson, we didn't want him. We told Mike Pence, we didn't want him. And Nikki just seems to be the last one standing. And, uh, you know, maybe that's because she has all of these Democrat donors who are bankrolling her, which I think should tell you a lot. When you have BlackRock and you have all of these Democrats who say we have to do everything we can not to have Trump in power, and they are instead funding Nikki Haley's campaign, I think that that tells you all you need to know about Nikki Haley. Malice is is the rub in the ointment on what Sarah just said there that even though it is true that a huge amount, especially in New Hampshire, of independents and apparently Democrats actually voted for Nikki, is the issue there that when Trump gets to the general, those people don't seem to like him and he is going to need some of those people. Again, largely women if he is going to win. Sure. I mean, but the point in our, in our kind of binary political system, if you vote for me holding your nose, you vote for me because you love me. It doesn't really matter. The vote counts the same. So they're going to have to go somewhere other than, I guess, if RFK is on board. But he's always had a problem with, you know, Democrats and independents. That's nothing new. But the point is, he's leading, I think, by double digits among independents against uh, President Biden at this moment in time. And the campaign hasn't even gotten started. I don't think things are going to get particularly better for Biden as the year uh, goes along, especially because there seems to be no possibility of any legislature passing through Congress. And I think governors are going to be more emboldened to take on the federal government. And he just doesn't seem like a like if you had Hillary Clinton in the White House, you could see her very easily sitting behind that, that desk and berating Governor Abbott. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden is weakened at Bernie's like you can't even follow yeah. his train of thought, which is really bad for the Democrats who want to have someone who's going to be a strong leader to stand up to this dictator, Donald Trump. They don't have that. And KJP is not exactly a shining light of intellect in, in the uh, in the White House, to put it mildly. <laughs> so I, I think that things are going to get and he's going to be a punching bag for Trump as the year goes on. It was different in 2020 because there was COVID. People were scared. But now there's no reason for him to be hiding in that basement. Well, you've given me a perfect segue to the last thing I wanted to touch on, which is will Biden be the nominee? So there's some interesting stuff. We've got some info from Valuetainment. Uh, Michelle Obama rumored to have plans to replace Joe Biden in the 2024 election. A New York Post columnist alleges that there are plans underway for Michelle Obama to enter the 2024 presidential race this summer. As President Joe Biden's approval rating continues to fall and Donald Trump continuously outperforms him in the polls, many observers, including prominent members of Congress, argue such a scenario is increasingly likely. Additionally, a poll from August found that the majority of Democrats would prefer Michelle over Joe. The writer, New York City-based socialite and gossip columnist Cindy Adams, claims sources have told her that Obama has polled donors to gauge the reception of a campaign trail intervention. Apparently, there is a plan to have Biden announce in May that he is not running and have the former first lady take the nomination without a primary vote during the DNC convention in August. In a different column, Adams claims that Michelle Obama sent a survey to Democratic leaders asking how they would feel about her running. Additionally, she reports that in the summer of 22, Michelle held a meeting in New York City with major hedge fund CEOs and told them, I am running and I am asking for your support. During an appearance on Jay Shetty podcast in early January, Michelle remarked that she is, quote, terrified about the 2024 election. Uh, Sarah, that Kamala lady can't be happy about this. Like, how are they gonna push her? Like, it does seem obvious to me that the guy could fall today. Like, while we're on air, it could all end. But they still have to get rid of Kamala, and uh, that's gonna be a real issue. Yeah, I mean, here's the only way that I can see that playing out easily, optics-wise, is if Kamala Harris, something happens to Joe Biden, uh, you know, God forbid that he just keels over and dies, but 
even not, even if not, um, they could just say, you know what, there's some health issues and he's going to go ahead and step away. Kamala has her time in the spotlight for like nine months. And then she actually just voluntarily says, I've had my time. I was the first woman president and I'm going to go off and do something else. And then Michelle Obama uh, gets past the torch. I Now, having Big Mike, I'm sorry, Michelle um, up there <laughs> scares the hell out of me. Um, it's not did you catch that, that Malice? Did you catch? Did you catch the reference there? Caught it, I caught you it. got it. You got it's it. Okay. Not something that I want to will into existence because that's terrifying to me. But it, I mean, they need to do something. That's the point. The Democrats yeah. know they have to do something, whether it's Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama. They know they cannot run this walking potato for another four years. But the, the potato won. The potatoes in the office, and that the incumbency potato is won a, by hiding. The potato yeah, won the, by hiding. Sure, We've seen hide him the for three years. Again. Well, but but, the, but he hasn't hid for the last three years. We've seen yeah. him. Sure. I I mean I know you agree with me that it's not a given that he's going to lose like at all, uh, especially if Trump is no, it's not a given. So, but no, uh, it's not. But I think that there's so much. It, isn't it scary though that like the time that we have left, we we all know there are so many things hanging out there that so many things could happen that could change the game. Well, I mean, Trump's no spring chicken either. And I made this, he's, I agree. you know, when you're like 6'3", 250 at that age, you know, yeah, he looks good, but things can happen all the time. And I don't wish for bad things for almost anyone other than corporate journalists. But I, I think this, to the point, <laughs> I think this whole Michelle Obama thing is a complete boomer fantasy. Uh, they just have this fixation, Michelle Obama. I know where it comes from. The idea that if Biden is incapacitated, that she'd be the plan B is crazy. She's never won any elected office. She has no political resume, much to speak of. And the fact that the, the claim that everyone in the Democratic Party who has paid their dues would just step aside for her is nuts. If she mm -hmm. wanted to have it, she would could have had it in 2020. Um, so I think this is completely false. If this survey had actually happened in writing, it would have leaked and it wouldn't have leaked through Cindy Adams. Um, so I, I'm sure she's very concerned and so on and so forth. But by all accounts, she hated her time in Washington. Uh, I don't know why she'd want to put her. I mean, would you want to run against President Trump as a mom and knowing what he's going to say about you and your kids? I mean, forget it. So and I don't see how she's going to tell Hillary and Kamala Harris, oh, just step aside. Michelle got this. That, that's not going to happen. Can I can I add one more thing to that, Dave? Sure. Uh, she also, to, to Michael's point, I mean, she lives on Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Like she had, they've, they've, they've got their Netflix deal. Like they 30 acres made, on the water, not worried about climate their change. Money, right? Like, right. Um, they've made their money. They're, they're very comfortable. She's living the elitist life that I'm sure she always dreamed of living. So I don't know why she would walk away from that to do it. Um, I still think that they're trying to prepare Gavin Newsom to, uh, to take, to take charge there. But yeah, I don't, I, if you're, if I'm Michelle Obama, I don't want to do that. I'd rather just live my, you know, live my fancy life. I have one final question for you guys, which is what are you doing in the free state of Texas on this weekend? What does one do in Texas on an insurrectionist weekend? Malice, you first. Should I go out? Maybe I'll go out and get another gun. That would be nice. <laughs> You're a first-time gun owner in Texas, right? You did not have guns. Yes, sir. Guns and I got a Masada, which is the gun that the IDF uses. Very nice. And very it's under nice. My bed. Sarah, I wow. know you have many guns. What else, what will you be doing this weekend in Texas as all of this unfurls? Yeah. Well, you know, the, here's the problem, Dave. I did have many guns, and then I lost them in a really tragic voting accident. So, mm, darn it, I don't have any more in case the federal government is wondering. Oh, but, yes. Um, we're, we're just going to hang, out, hang out with the kids. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, yeah. Hang out with the kids. And, uh, you know, it's cold for us in Texas, which means it's like 50 degrees. So we're hoping that it warms up so we can go outside and well, play on the playground. Hold on. If it's cold now, wait till I call ice on you, Gonzalez. We're going to solve this problem. <laughs> yes, yes. And Malice doesn't have any guns either, and neither do I or anyone else in the studio. <laughs> End communication, post-game show at rubenreport.locals.com in about 30 seconds. Thanks, guys. I'll see you soon. Thank you. If you want to do this and spend a night in the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, you can do so August 1st and the 3rd. And it's, it's actually not bad. Wow. It's $136 a night. There you go. Good deal. A romantic night in a Wienermobile. <laughs> what? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubenreport.locals.com.